Hey everybody, this is Dave Broadback. I'm coming to you live. Well, it's live right now. It's recorded for you. But coming to you uh, from what I have often called my podcast studio, which is actually uh, my daughter's bedroom, old bedroom. Anyway, uh, the lecture you're about to hear is for Psychology 3196, Human Evolutionary Psychology. I don't want to move. I'll just sit here in my living room and see what's on the tube. I had a prof in undergrad who didn't have an undergrad degree, only had a PhD. Yeah, he started out, he's, I, I remember, I looked up. We used to always look up where your prof got your PhD. It's just something to be interested in. So I looked up and said, PhD Stanford. That's all I said. And I went, wrong. So I went to after class and I said, so what's the deal? And did they forget where you, did you not put in where you got your undergrad? He goes, yeah, I never finished. What? How do you get a PhD? Well, he said, uh, yeah, I was working on correcting the calculations of factor analysis, yeah, that's just a thing. And then I dropped out because it was the 60s. Okay. And I tried to publish it. And I sent it to a publisher and he said, you know, this is a horrible journal article. Make a great PhD thesis. Come do some courses with me for the PhD. So that's my story. Pretty amazing. He's an amazing stats prop, too. He used to quote Bob Dylan all the time. As you'd expect, someone who dropped out of university. <laughs> Okay, so today, um, introductory stuff is done. I think you're all on the same page as far as sort of evolutionary theory and all that thinking goes. So, <coughs> excuse me. Damn. Now we're going to start talking about, in a lot of respects, we're going to do intro psych over again, except from a different angle. So, today I want to talk about sensation and perception. Um, to catch a ball, for example, just something very simple like catching a ball, which is something we can all do. I'm not talking about throwing a 95 mile an hour fastball at you. I'm talking about throwing a Nerf ball over your hand and catch it. Even that is impressive because you have to, first of all, see it coming and very quickly represent that in your nervous system. So you can put your hand at the right moment to catch the ball. Right? So not even the cognitive parts of this, not even the parts of when you put your hand there to catch the ball. Because to do that, you still have to have represented the real world. You still there is a world out there, don't give me there's no reality, man. Um, <coughs> there is a real world out there. Our senses represent a very small portion thereof. Very small portion. Right? So we have to internalize the external. And that's what sensation is. Okay? The simplest creatures, the first animals that had sensory, had any kind of sensory system, these were chemical senses. Probably <coughs> we think of the smell. We wouldn't think of it as smell because it's, you know. Uh, something with a very small nervous system having a couple hundred neurons detecting concentrations of different ions, things like that. But they can detect those things. So they, have, they, they have sensory apparatus. It's a chemical sense. And smell is, in fact, certainly the oldest, oldest sense that any animal has. There was smell in humans before there were humans. Right? There was smell is the oldest. In fact, you find, if you look at the way smell is wired up compared to the other Sensory systems, it's wired up differently. 
goes right to the olfactory bulb, doesn't go through the thalamus, all that cool stuff that you might have heard in 2606. So what sensation is, it is internalizing the external. There's a couple things you have to think about. We can process things bottom up or top down. And this is really just a way to classify stuff. It's, it's not something that, I mean, we can probably do some thought experiments about this, but for the most part, it's a way for us to classify stuff. Right, so bottom-up processing is information getting in there. Sort of think about your retina. Let's think about something simple. We all know how vision works, more or less. When light hits your retina, the pattern of activation of cones and rods. I, I, I was pause there because I was saying cones and rods. Um, weird. I have a, I know many rods. I just imagine little, all kinds of little rods. Um, <laughs> That pattern of activation, we can talk about that being bottom-up. And that's sensation. Perception, imposing organization on sensory stimuli, we'll call that perception. Okay? So if we're going to perceive something. So if you actually do see Ron standing in front of you, recognizing that that's Ron, that's perception. You could ask yourself, where does sensation begin and where does perception end? The answer to that question is, I don't know. What kind of question is that? So I say, where does learning end and memory begin? It's not a question that is very useful. It's really just a way for us to classify stuff. So it's the same way, for example, if you looked at Oh, here, who here is taking, or is taking, I don't know if it's offered this term or not, who here is taking uh, sensation of perception or has taken sensation of perception? Yeah? Would Lori define that in the same way, roughly? Is Lori teaching it? Or is it Keo? Who knows? Lori? And she, is she saying roughly the same thing? Does that make sense? Well, she knows more about this stuff than I do. Yeah, yeah. Your definition of perception again, you said imposing organization on sensory data. That's a, that's a definition one could use. I, I'm not, and it would not be, I don't think, scoffed at. Me. I didn't throw in magically. So, for example, tick tocking in a clock, right? You, you know the tick tock pattern? There really is no tick tock pattern. We impose that. It's always the same. Tick, 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 tick. But we impose tick tock, tick tock on it because we've learned over the years that clocks go tick tock, tick tock. We told that from literature. So we then impose that tick and the talk. There is no tick and talk. Listen to it. You know, there may have been really old clocks that were mechanical, but listen to a watch that has a second hand that, that is battery operated. There's no ticking and talking. But you're, you will impose this organization on it completely arbitrarily, which is just saying it goes take a talk, and it doesn't. And the way you can convince this to yourself is you can, because you'll, you'll put two things up, oh, tick tock, tick tock, then just go tick tock, tick tock, talk, tick tock, tick tock, tick tock, tick and it's exactly the same. Very cool. Okay, so this top down, bottom up. Um, I don't know that evolution cares a great deal about this. But the sensory, getting the sensory information in is, 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 once it's in there, we can do something with it. 
couple of basic principles about sensation perception. Now, first of all, there's thresholds. There's uh, absolute thresholds. That's the faintest stimulus we can detect. Okay. So the faintest stimulus you can detect, let's say with the light. Let's go with brightness of the light. In here, we don't have any incandescent bulbs, and we don't have a dimmer switch because it's not 1970. But we just have dimmer switches, incandescent bulbs, and at some level, you can turn it down to the point where there's still current going through the light bulb through the filament, which can't see any lights. It's so faint you can't see. Or we can think of sound. At some point, a sound can be so quiet you can't hear it, but there still is sound. Right? So if I start talking more quietly, I'll stand further back so some people actually end up not being able to hear me. But I'll keep talking, and eventually I was actually making noise there, it was just very quiet. <coughs> All sound is is changes in air pressure. Change the environment. At some level, we just can't hear anything more quiet than X number of decibels. Now, the other thing is we can look at proportions or difference thresholds. JNDs. Sometimes psychology is horrible with terminology, sometimes it's great. JND is a just noticeable difference. Is this light brighter than this light? I ask you a simple question, and you answer yes or no. One of the neat things about this is, in fact, that stimuli diff have to differ by a constant proportion, not by a constant amount. It's called Weber's Law. So to be seen as different, they differ by a constant proportion, not a constant amount. One of the ways to think about this, in fact, is with weights. If I give you two weights and say which one weighs more, and I give you a weight that is 10 grams, and let's say you can detect 10 grams and 12 grams as being different. That, but you, you can't do 10 and 11.9, 11.8, but as soon as you get to 12, it's different. That means then that at 1,000 grams, you can't detect it between 1,000 grams and 1,100, 1,000 and 1,200. It's called Weber's Law. It's a little different for everybody. Everybody's Weber fraction for each sensory system is a little bit different. And every and this includes not just sensation and perception of things like brightness or weights, but it's also things like uh, passage of time and distances in space. It's very cool. Okay, that's called Weber's Law. It's not called Weber's Law. Weber's Law is get out of the way, I can shoot a puck 106 miles an hour. Shame of <laughs> Joke there. Lot of fans in the room. Um, okay, questions? Probably stuff you know, but it's also stuff you probably haven't run into in quite a while. Um, sensory adaptation is getting used to something. Now, this makes a great deal of evolutionary sense. That if you hear the same sound or have the same or you see exactly the same thing on your retina, which you never do, your eyes have these little tiny scatterings and stuff that you're pounding you stop detecting that stimulus. 
If you actually can stop your eyes from moving, which you can't do, everything would go gray. What you can do, however, is put on um, goggles that make the amount of light diffusing exactly the same everywhere. They kind of look like um, the goggles you put on when you do, uh, like, go to a, they put in a tanning salon, which is a place I don't go to very often. Because <laughs> for me, it would be a rotisserie chicken with a little garlic powder and some smoked paprika on it. It would smell delicious. But if you put those on and you're in a room that has generally, this room would be really shitty for it. So you have to find a room that's generally had the same light everywhere. You put those goggles on, things just fade to gray. Pretty cool. Now, evolutionarily, why does this make sense? Can you hear or see something over and over and it's not a threat that you don't have to waste time? And why process it? Exactly. Processing is a waste of time. Processing information is expensive. Neurons are expensive. Your nervous system uses up about 75% of your oxygen and 25% of the glucose. Um, you're basically eating and breathing to make your brain work. So don't make your brain work too much. And you'll notice this, that until someone points out to you that there's a, a, a fan in the projector, you probably don't notice it. You'll notice it because it turns off. Or like when you fall asleep, or typically with your dad, and I'm a dad, so I don't know you do this. As soon as you become a father, this happens. You fall asleep in front of the TV. And then someone turns the channel, you wake up, and I was watching that! <laughs> we were looking at my father saying, you were watching Blue's Clues? <laughs> hey, give me the clicker. Change the channel, goes back to sleep. Our house has some, we have so many clickers, but I can control everything from my phone. So Isabel will be fumbling around with it. One day I said, she said, how do you watch Netflix on the Xbox One? I said, it's easy. Take out the, take out the Xbox One controller. And it just takes us to connect it. Okay, good. I said, now put the headset on. It's a lie. You can do all kinds of stuff. No, I was doing all the stuff with my phone. Because I'm a jerk. I hope I come across as the asshole always in a relationship. This is true. Um... So the, that's the ping pong ball trick. So that's basically, as I said, you put, you can do this with ping pong balls cut in half. The problem is that they might cut you. So I'm saying, don't really do that. <laughs> what makes you think I won't cut you? So no one ever says that with a ping pong ball. <laughs> and as I've said, you know, everybody else says, so funny that your your guy says no smell whatsoever. Your smells fresh as a morning. You walk into somebody else's house and you've adapted to it. And again, evolution only makes a great deal of sense. It's, it's not a threat, and it's not it's neither good nor bad, so ignore it. It's not good or bad, so just ignore it. So, David? Yes, please. Is, is this mostly based on stuff that you can't control, or does it... You can't really control this stuff. Okay. In fact, your, your nervous system is typically set up to make this not happen. Right. So that's why your eyes are constantly just a little tiny bit. Um, this happens more with things like smell or like with uh, sound. Okay. It doesn't happen so much with vision, with seeing with visual animals. Um, so it happens a lot more with, uh, like I said, sound and smell, especially. Um, and that's one of those things. 
friend of mine comes over every Thursday night and says, oh, this smells like meat in your house. I said, well, I cook a lot. I said, no, I'm not complaining. It always smells like deliciously cooked meat in your house. I guess it does. So, vision itself, vision is just getting the, the external, internal, and in this case it's light. Light is nothing special. Light is nothing special. Right? All light is, is just part of, you know what light is? It's radiation. Run for your lives, it's radiation. People are so afraid of radiation. Um, it can't hurt. Well, if I shone a light so bright in your eye, direct, direct, yeah, that is that hurt you. So I was right Um, why'd you do it, punk? Shine a light on somebody. But it's just electromagnetic radiation, and we can detect a very small slice of that. Yeah. But so are all kinds of other things, x-rays, microwaves, infrared radiation, radiation, cosmic rays. Some of these things are not dangerous whatsoever, and some of the things are really, really, they can kill you. So many of you have seen me use, I've used this diagram before. It's my favorite EM spectrum diagram. It just shows you how broad all this radiation is and the fact that we, we can sense a very small portion of us. Right? So the portion we can sense, look at how small it is. But all this other stuff is actually out there. We just can't see it. We don't detect it. <coughs> we don't have the gear to detect it in our eyes. Right? So for example, radio waves. You can't see them. There. There's Wi-Fi all over this room. I can't see it. I don't see it. I can't see it. Is it such that because we don't really need to see it? Uh, evolutionarily, sure. Yeah. I mean, what would the what would the advantage be to the developing something that we detect? In essence, the cosmic background radiation. <laughs> now, by the radi- by the way, there's radiation coming from all of you, not just light bouncing off of you, but other wavelengths, including you know, off the table, off your boots and everything. Anything from this side over, anything from vis- what we call visible light over to the left here, can't hurt you. It's not going to cause cancer. So people who are afraid of Wi-Fi. You know they put Wi-Fi by some plants and they all die. <laughs> that was some really happening science. So you put something beside a really hot river and they got it. That's a big surprise. What are the other possible explanations that could be? Hmm. Hmm. Really hot river? The Danish school children did this. Scientists are investigating you now. No, they're not. No, they're not. You know why? The scientists aren't stupid. People, they're a bunch of bastards. 
So, I mentioned this because Isabel said she saw a thing on Facebook. And I said, let's see. She said, I think it was true, but can you explain why? You know, the wavelengths are so big in some of these things. The wavelengths for things like FM radio are like the size of a building. There's a reason why when you get down in a tunnel, you stop being able to hear the radio. Because it's so freaking big, it can't get in the tunnel. So how's that going to damage yourself? I'm just curious. I don't now, when you get on the other side, <laughs> it's small enough that it can break molecular bonds and your main molecules. Now, that's a problem. Don't be as scared of the radiation that's over here. Yeah, look, too much heat? Yeah, I'd be afraid of that. Like if I just saw a flamethrower? I'd be afraid of. <coughs> All right, questions? So, the wavelength of the light determines the hue. Now that, these colors, this is something very strange to think about are completely arbitrary. Whoa. There's literally no such thing in the, in the world as red in, the, in, the, in nature. What? This uh, hat, this, this lovely hat, oh, what else? This lovely hat reflects what we, a, a wavelength of light, and we all agree it's red. But it's just a wavelength of Electromagnetic radiation. Do we all see it the same? Yeah, sure. We all see it here in our eyes. Don't get me, don't start with that. How do you know the red that you see is the same as the red that I see? Dude. Now, take another hit off the bomb. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how many people have actually had that discussion while high. When I say it, everybody starts to Everybody's had that. By the way, if you think your discussions while you're high are really deep, record them and listen back. They are, they're stupid as hell. What if we were just on an electron going around a proton? You've had that one too. See, other people have had these discussions. So, that just determines the hue. We just detect it. Our, our, our system detects the different wavelengths. Now, why would it be good evolutionarily to detect different wavelengths? Of, 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 of electromagnetic radiation. Thoughts? Why don't we just take brightness? That's what rats do. Rats just see black and white. To find food? Yeah, probably. It's probably what our food is. Certain things have certain characteristics, have certain colors, and they end up, we call them colors, have reflect certain wavelengths of light. And those things tend to be edible. And it's funny because what you have going on there is something we'll talk about shortly, and that's coevolution. That the a fruit, for example, will reflect, say, red light. And other animal and other fruits will co-evolve, will evolve at the same time, also reflecting red light, because there's a preference in the predators of that fruit for red. Very neat. The intensity determines the brightness. That's just how much is 
get into your retina. And lighter is the eye from the cornea of the pupil. Pupil size regulated by the iris. Behind the pupil is the lens, and the lens comment. One of the reasons I'm talking a bit about the eye right now is one of the arguments you often get from sort of creationists is, well, how could the eye be developed? How could something so complicated like an eye have evolved? That's why I'm talking a bit about this. Light hits the retina, and of course, the image is upside down. Right? Because of the way the lens is shaped, the brain rates it. Now, humans see very well. It's funny, you hear a lot of people will say, oh, we don't see as well as all oh, the what animal, this animal, that. We see better than any other primate. Our visual acuity is better than any other primate. We also see in, in we, see, we have trichromatic vision, we see way more colors than most primates do. Not all primates, but most primates. The nice thing is, though, the shape, the, the way that this works, the accommodating lens, the optic nerve, all that stuff, that's preserved really throughout. Not just preserved, this shows up all over the animal kingdom, and it's not just been invented once. It's happened more than once. Pretty cool. Well, it's been independently evolved a lot of times. So, like, different versions of the same template or same? There's only so many ways to see. Is this the optimal anatomy? Uh, for what we want to see, yeah. Well, no, it's not really. There's, there's way better ways to do this. There are way better ways to do this. So the circular shape being at the front of the head. Oh, that kind of thing, yes. And in fact, the front of the head is great. What do you think it's great for? For two eyes facing frontwards. Yeah, depth, depth, depth perception. Right? So we can see, we can sense that. And you look at any ape, they have two eyes the further. They don't have the side eyes, like say a bird does. Sorry, which uh, any, any, any ape. Oh, ape has what? Two in the front. Why would that be more beneficial than being able to see, I don't know, 360? 360 is great if you're having to detect things behind you at the expense of seeing things really well in front of you. Okay, and I guess birds which can see 360, uh, some of them. Yeah, they there's, have there's a thing that birds do that we don't do. Well, they have different functions for depth uh, perception, right? Yeah, birds are funny in that birds have two different visual systems within their eyes. They have a front phobia, which it's for very, it's only very close though. So it's, it's basically for pecking things. Would that be their depth perception? Uh, yeah, so that's what they're, and then the side phobia is for uh, navigation. What about owls that can actually turn? Uh, owls actually, yeah, owls have two front, two front ones. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I guess because they need more depth perception. I guess. Also, owls have huge eyes to allow a whole lot of light in because they're nocturnal. Right? So you can think about your eye either being. You need a short sighted or. Sorry, your side or the far side? Also, short sighted, but that's a most people here wear glasses are probably nearsighted. As you get older, you get farsighted, right? 
maybe your parents read newspapers up here. My dad used to read Trivial Pursuit cards up here. What Pope? And they could complain about how he always got questions about Popes. Why do I get these questions about Popes? About a Catholic? You're fixing this game, aren't you, David? No, Dad, I'm not. Now the retina. Now this is where it gets weird because it all seems optimal. Steve, I said, "Yeah, looks good." Would you do it this way? Would you do it outside in? Is that what you were referring to earlier about? Uh, it's expensive too. Oh, I don't know. I literally have no idea why it looks this way. I would not design them this way. If you asked me to design a visual system, I wouldn't say, "Well, first it goes to the back of the eye, then it goes back out front, then back here to an optic nerve." Think about when we when humans design cameras, we don't have a system like this. It hits a sensor, and then the information is sent to the rest of the phone. It's like it goes out and then back and then in, there's no blind spot. Right? So we have rods for night and brightness, and cones are for color. When a photon hits a receptor, it sends a message to the optic nerve. But the neat thing, the weird thing is, as you can see, it goes, the light comes back here and then back out to here. So light hits the back of the retina, and the information travels back this way. There. So we have a blind spot, as you know. That's all I've got are blind spots. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, I kill me. There is a spot in your eye that is just there's, there's it's all with all, all the ganglion cells are coming together to form the optic nerve, and you actually can't detect it. You don't notice it because your brain fills it, but it actually is there, right? Okay. Okay. So, the cones are defined detail in color, as I mentioned. Cones really only work in the light. Now, this is an interesting point. Our ancestors, well before the Marines, little rat like deals, saw had dichromatic vision like a dog does. Not trichromatic, but trichromatic vision, like we do. So yellow, so reds and greens basically look the same. But they probably could see into the ultraviolet. Probably see the ultraviolet. We can't. Now we can build little meters to detect ultraviolet light. That's something we can do. They can see colors we can't even see, man. Crazy. And when these little prehistoric rats sat around getting high, (laughs) 
so our rods, on the other hand, are for our R4 dim light. Your cones are concentrated in the fovea. As I said, uh, the apes like us have one fovea. A lot of birds have two foveas, a frontal fovea and a side fovea, and actually two separate visual systems, which is great. I don't know phenomenologically what the bird does. Yeah. I do know that information learned by one visual system can transfer to the other visual system that takes time. Um, so if you teach a pigeon that if it pecks the red key, it's going to get food, and then you show it red keys on the side, it doesn't learn anything. It takes time for it. To, it, it takes just as long for it to learn. Sorry, it eventually transfers, but it takes some time. It's not automatic. Where it's supposed to be taught the front phobia, front front vision system, it knows it. Yeah. And it's possible they have two separate screens. That well, they have at least two separate screens. Yeah. So they, would you say that the human visual system is quite rudimentary compared to? No, I would say it's awesome <laughs> for what it needs to be for us. One of the things that we have to get past is thinking that X is more evolved than Y, or that this is better than this. We don't need anything else. Why? Why? Well, if I don't need, it would be cool if I had wings on my back. It would be weird, but it would be cool. I don't need wings because I, as a human, don't hunt. From the air, I hunt it from the ground with my pals. And nowadays, I can just go on an airplane if I want to, I guess. Or I can somebody invent the airplane. So it's like comparing oranges to Yeah, it's more like comparing oranges to ski hills. It just, they're, just so, they're not even the same thing, not even fruits. Like they're just two different things. It's, it's one of the issues that comes up a lot in, say, comparative psychology is people say, what animal is the smartest? And the answer to that question is that's a silly question. Because we talk about the same behavior. And that's because, like, a Clark's Nutcracker, to use my, you know, the world champion food store, has to remember where 30,000 seeds are in a 40 kilometer radius six months later. You don't have to do that. We've evolved a different system. Right? It works for them in the niche they're in. Right? Um, you got to remember that evolution doesn't have a goal, it just is. It's the same gravity has a goal. No, gravity is just gravity. It's the property of the universe. So I'd say that for what we do, and for if you were to compare, say, acuity and color vision and all that kind of stuff for us to other apes, we probably win almost all those things. <coughs> it's not about distance so much. Um, how far can a human see? Here's a question. Here's a nice trick question I was given once. It's, it's a trick question. How far can a human see? Any of us, on average. Average human. Average human who can see. Let's see to the horizon. To our horizon. So how far is that? Give me, give me a number. How many kilometers? Or miles? Give me miles. We're fine using binoculars. Fine, use binoculars. But now let's just use our eyes. 
correct it if need be. What do you say? How far can a human see? Universe, like stop seeing things might be like, blurry, but yeah, sure. Like, sure. I, I know it's at least 93 million miles. You know why? The sun's out there. It's 93 million miles away. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was asked this question once when I was in graduate school. It was a sort of a trick question. I was the only person who got the answer, and I, I felt very good about myself. So, telling that story as often as possible. Um, But yeah, we can you know, can see far. What about well, the moon's two hundred thousand kilometers, two hundred thousand miles away, four hundred thousand miles away, so it's the moon. I've seen Mars. See, that's that's way far. Stars. <laughs> yeah, stars. They're light years away. We measure those in light years, right? You can see the Andromeda galaxy if you know where you're looking. Right? And that's where the Andromeda strain comes from. And what the Andromeda strain is, it's just a powerfully boring movie. Um, it really is. So rods are evenly distributed. Um, and many rods to one bipolar cell. So you can see in dim light, but only in black and white. Uh, and you don't have the, you have the, what's the word I'm looking for, the uh, acuity in, in, in dark. You have it. My acuity is much closer to normal in the dark because my rods are distributed normally uh, equally. My cones are distributed randomly as well, so I don't have foveals. I am foveulous, which is a great day. By the way, I'm a Roman soldier. I'm foveulous Maximus Broadbeckius. He actually take a sum. Yes, I took Latin for four years. Yeah, the greatest thing is, I found my Latin teacher from high school on Facebook. She's like 85 years old, and she's still the same crazy woman going on trips. It's the greatest thing ever. It has its advantages. It's also weird, and people think that Wi-Fi can give you cancer. So it's, it comes up and down. It's got... Okay, one cone to one by polar cell. You have 130 million receptors per eye. But you might think, oh, that means 130 megapixel eyes. Nope. Uh, megapixels, if you want to do it that way, it's probably about 650. Because of the concentration in your photo. Right. Yeah. Right. That's a pretty 650 megapixels. Oh, okay, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, you can't afford that. <laughs> no, nope. no, none of us can. Those are the cameras. That's the cameras that, that, that NASA has. That's the cameras that like the NSA has. If I'm like. America. And then they see that, and then a drone hits me. That's, that's they have those. Okay. So let's bring in the evolution. Why are we sensitive to visible light? Whoa. So you've got to remember it's just a part of the spectrum. Why are we sensitive to visible light? And Taylor did say before that it's going to be about our food, and that's true. It allows us to detect the different fruits that we eat, basically. Our, the evolutionary history of primates, what ended up happening was we started, instead of living in the dark like our ancestors did, and our ancestors being these little kind of rat like guys that lived, this is probably like 20 million years ago. Yeah, it's not that long. 
we're like about 20 million years ago, sorry, it's not by the order of magnitude. Um, their ability to see ultraviolet light when we shifted to living in the daytime wasn't very useful. So in fact, it then shifts over to being able to see the red and yellow part of the spectrum. I'm sorry, blue-yellow part of the spectrum. Okay. Now, one of the things, wouldn't it be cool to see ultraviolet? There's other light out there. We just can't see it. So like, for example, uh, a lot of birds have ultraviolet hatches on them. Not the same <coughs> male chickadee. So if you ever look at a chickadee, a male looks at a female, you can't tell the difference. If you're a chickadee can, because you can see in the ultraviolet, and there's a great big ultraviolet patch on a male. There's a color of feathers chickadees have that we can't see. We know that because you can hold a UV meter up to a chickadee's breast and it, it no, there's light there. We just let it get Ultraviolet is affected by atmospheric conditions. There are cases of some people who can see into the UV. It's exceedingly It's a mutation in their blue uh, yellow cones. These are not common things. These are like a couple of people ever that have been found. In fact, not much ultraviolet. Radiation reaches the ground. Where do we live? On the ground. What advantage is there to us seeing ultraviolet? Yeah. <laughs> so you be able to sex chickadees. So what do you think the advantage was for our ancestors? At the they, they, they were uh, at night. Uh, they also spent a lot of time in very. Um, oh, sorry. They were at, at night, so there'd be the, the pattern of. Um, it allowed them to have a sort of night vision. But what if the UV didn't reach the ground? It doesn't reach. A lot of UV doesn't reach the ground, but it was enough that they they had this to begin with. But then, it, like I said, the shift happens and we start to see blue yellow. Um, what do you think has ultraviolet? Why do you think it's ultraviolet? What does it allow you to do? Pure bird. If the light changes depending upon the altitude, what's it allow you to do? Get an altimeter. How, how, how high in the sky you are. Right? So a bird can tell how, how, how high it's flying by looking at the patterns of polarized light in the sky. What other animals would you expect to be able to see through the UV? Yeah. Bees can. Yeah. Makes sense. Bees fly. A lot of insects see through the UV. Right? 
The other thing is ultraviolet and infrared light go through walls, go through objects. That would be pretty cool. We don't hunt at night, so ultraviolet, sorry, infrared's not going to be very useful. Infrared is seeing heat. We'll see heat signatures of our animals, plants. We sleep at night, like all sensible animals. <coughs> so we don't see into the infrared. What do you think sees into the infrared? Snakes. Snakes do. Why snakes? Yeah, that's seeing heat. Why do you think snakes would want to see the infrared? Protect the prey. What else? It's just infrared. Well, they don't, they're like endothermic, so like something like that, where like they don't create their own heat, yeah. so if they start to get cold, they will go to the heat. So you'll find a lot of reptiles. You can see my arm. Because being able to see where I'm going to be warm and I can, I can go lie down and bask in the water. Most of your snakes don't do that because they're marked. <laughs> what else should see in the IR? Mosquitoes? How the hell do you think mosquitoes find you at night? It's not just smell, they can see you. You look like, I don't know what you look like because I'm not a mosquito. I imagine it kind of looks like. When you put your infrared goggles on, you like Ghost Recon. <laughs> you know, uh, split yourself. So the light we can see has some properties that those other kinds of light, ultraviolet, infrared, don't have. It's differentially reflected by different objects. So in other words, things are different colors. We perceive that as different colors, but that means different objects. So, for example, infrared doesn't work that way. It's just a heat signature. So it's easy to recognize, as I said, different objects, different kinds of food. I hate when I get that notification that a package was left at my house, but there was nobody there to get it. It's the worst. I have to go to the freaking post office downtown. Oh, I have to go to the post office to pick up my Scrabble game. I, I like things that just arrive at my house. And they just, oh, look, more things. I was drunk and I heard Scrabble on my phone. <laughs> I wasn't drunk. I wanted to play Scrabble. I would be as usual embarrassed by my, my francophone wife beating the shit out of me in Scrabble. But this is my first language. How are you beating me? We could play in French. Oh, yeah, that'd be even better, Isabel. Let's play in French. My words be things like je. <laughs> <laughs> Lance, count, like I mean, just hockey words, pronouns. Um, I can't spell in French. I can't write French. I can speak it okay. 
Your eye is really poorly designed. Why do we want... If you were designing the eye, if I said to you, you are now the intelligent designer. You would design the eye. For I am Dave, and I give me the power to design the eye. Would you put a blind spot in it? I hope you'd all go, well, no. <laughs> of course not. That's stupid. Well, yeah, but our brain writes it. Yeah, like, so, okay. I'll also decide a whole bunch of other shit that makes up for that. Or we could put no blind spot in. It's a crazy idea. So, it's funny, because it's always used as the example, the creationist example, the eye, the eye, the eye, and pointing out that the eye is very poorly designed, even though it does what it does pretty well. Would you make only one bit of the eye sensitive, just the phobia? Well, why would you do that? Why should you have to just look straight at something? Why can't we have a beautiful panoramic view? Sure, why not? That'd be cool. No, we want to make it so you have to either move your head or your eyes. Would you install the retina backwards? <laughs> so, so you put the cones and rods here, and then it comes out here to the ganglion cell, and then it goes over here and gathers up, and then it goes back out, which you would do that. And again, think about how humans have actually designed sensory systems, visual systems. We don't design those things into something like a camera. So how would an eye evolve? This is the question you want to ask, because it's like, if it's evolved, which it depends, how would the eye evolve? It's actually a very good question. Again, so if, if you're talking to a person that says, well, the eye is a good example for how you can't evolve, you say, okay. And even if they buy all these things, they may ask you, well, how would an eye evolve? And that's when your answer should be, who the hell am I, Richard Dawkins? But... <laughs> joke. Well, first of all, you could point out that it's happened about 60 different times throughout the animal kingdom. How would you let's 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 crowdsource the design of an eye. Let's crowdsource the eye. And we got to start from something that's pretty basic. We can't just go, I, because that evolution doesn't work that way. So what's the I do? What's its function? Be, be even, yeah, sight, sure. But let's, be, let's be more basic than that. Process. It's detecting light. Detecting radiation. Which is important because what with the sun? Right? It's good to know where the sun is. It's good to know also when the sun goes down, because then if you're going to go to sleep, you'll be awake. It seems a pretty reasonable thing to have. What would be the first? What would you? What would be the first step? Do you figure? So there's a mutation. Got to think about this. There's got to be something that's sensible enough that it could happen. This is obviously before anything has a head. So you got to really think back a long time. Well, there were. I know, like some um, parts of like a cell in plants that is sensitive to light. Sure. So, like for photosynthesis. And stuff yeah, like sure. That. Plants make their own food. 
We should all do that. We all be hungry. We just taste like delicious sugar all the time. I don't need to eat. But when I rip the lump, ooh, so much better. Um, get the right idea. You probably just want a patch somewhere on your body that detected light. A bunch of cells that were sensitive to light. So we've got, we start out with the back of some animal and it's flat. And then we're going to have a little area here. It's going to have some cells that detect light. <coughs> They're sensitive to light. That's all they do. That can be done with all different pigments, all kinds of things. Pretty simple. What's your next step? Because what can this thing tell what direction light's coming from? Not really. It would be nice to tell direction. How would you do that? Think about it. By having a couple, well, a few spots, so if the light goes to one of them first, you know it's hitting, hitting the direction of the other one. Okay. Like that. That's not a bad idea. So now we get two of these spots. But remember, this is just detecting light in general. I think you're thinking a little too far ahead. It's a good, it's, it's a neat idea. Another idea. Well, what if, what if, um, if that's, what if it was like a cop? Instead of making two, you got one, but it's detecting where the light's coming from. Now, is that going to be able to make out objects? No. It's going to be all blurry, sort of, right? You would think because it's just light just hitting different places. At least it's going to tell is the light coming from the left, the right, the back, the front. What would you do? Sharpen up the image. Yeah, put a lens on top. That's a pretty big step. That's where we're going to get there eventually. What's the intermediate step before a lens? What about just like some skin that goes over top? There's a gap. It's going to sharpen up the image, and you should know this by looking. If you look through a pinhole, sort of take a pinhole, uh, you know, in a piece of um, cardboard, and take that and project it on a wall, you can actually see an image compared to if you have a great big hole. You can't see an image, right? You know, like when you're doing the thing when there's an eclipse, instead of staring at it like a moron, or like you're the president of the United States or something. So. That moment, that just, to me, that was great. <laughs> Hearing all these things going, don't look at it! He's like, I have the best eyes. I don't need special glasses. 
Let me get his, his hair probably filtered it in. <laughs> um, okay, so now what you want to do is now you want a lens. Oh, look, we built an eye. And that's basically, we know this because we can look at it and you think, well, there's nothing like that now. Here's all kinds of things that have this things now. Patches in the back of their necks. A lot of, a lot of um, reptiles. They're detecting when the sun comes up. Cool. How else could you detect where something is, by the way? That's, that's the way an eye like ours is. Because then it can detect And we can then have it move, or we have an eyeball, and it can move around. So we know, oh, that's over there. Oh, that's over there. It's another way to do it. Like without visual, kind of? Oh, be visual still, so see. What if you had a whole bunch of eyes in one eye? Like a compound eye, like any insect has. Right? Is there a whole bunch of eyes in one great big eye? So there's like 60 images here and 80 images here and 130 here and all this stuff. That's, there's really two approaches. There's one that has this and the eye can move around a little bit, and the other one is make a whole bunch of eyes. All right. Vision's cool. Okay, taste and stuff. Smell, as I said, is the oldest, certainly the oldest uh, sense that any that, that evolved. Like of all animals, it's the oldest stuff. It's just a chemical sense. A taste is pretty similar to it. Smell is pretty good too. So he's asking a question. Okay. Detecting different concentrations of various chemicals is a good thing. That's what smells for. We're really good at it, too. This is one of these funny things you hear a lot of people say, well, we don't smell very well. Yeah, compared to a bloodhound. That's true. But we can detect smells about one part per 10 billion. That's pretty good, seems to me. Okay, this is really neat. For some reason, humans, like a whole lot of other animals, animals are symmetrical. Being asymmetrical is something that universally is found to be unattractive. One eye's up here, one eye's down here. That would be that track. Okay. In fact, it's probably an indication that you developed properly, that you don't have some disease, that you don't have some parasites. 
And in fact, it's the case that we find symmetrical people attractive. When you take a look at people who are genuinely viewed as, or sorry, generally viewed as attractive, they're symmetrical. Okay. What if I could detect symmetry by sniffing? But what if I had another signal to it that you were attracted? What if it was the smell of your armpits? Really nice day to hear both women and men, university students. You have women and or men work out for about an hour and they aren't wearing a deal. They're fresh t-shirt. They take the t-shirts, collect them. You also have previous ratings of how attractive people find these men and women. Different set of people. You then have people rate the attractiveness, how pleasant they find the smell of those t-shirts. And you have the right order. Turns out that there's a correlation, a very high correlation, between how people rate how good looking people are, how symmetrical they are, and how good they are in I'm not saying we do it. We go around it. Oh, ooh, that's nice looking girls in here. I don't think anybody has. There probably are people who do that. I don't want to hang out with them. Boy, this bar smells great. But it's showing us that there is another set of signals we need to detect symmetry. Mothers can recognize the smell of their own baby's diapers. This is done with 24-hour-old infants. After they've had their first couple of poops. First couple of poops babies have after they're born are horrible. Yeah, they not Yeah, and not nice. It's like, oh good, I have rosemary for me. <laughs> but some of you got the reference. Yelman? What's that? Yelman, right? All I know is this, it's all it's all. But once that's happened, about 25 hours later, and this makes that very strange, like babies who are especially breastfeeding babies, their diapers don't smell that bad. They smell like caramelized burnt sugar, because that's all it really is. It's not pleasant. Baby diapers don't really smell like shit until they start actually eating food that adults eat. That's when they start eating carrots and stuff, and you go, oh, mama, that's, that's when it gets bad. But at the beginning, it's really not that big a deal. No one likes it. No, you don't really get disgusted by it. The same way. Mothers, better than chance, can recognize the smell of their own baby's diapers at 24 hours old. So we can detect relatedness using smell. Can detect how related someone is to us 
The other chemical sense we have has five different kinds of receptors, maybe six. Or maybe one for carbohydrates. But we can definitely taste salt, sweet, sour, bitter, and umami, or the taste of MSG. By the way, you know that thing about well, you the salt at the end of your tongue, and then it's you know, over here, so that's all bullshit. It's equally distributed throughout your tongue. I know you've seen it in books, you were taught it in elementary and high school, it's small. Someone said it at one point, it all seemed so sensible that no one ever tested it. Some people tested it and went, yeah, that's not a thing. So why should we be able to detect salt? Well, we need sodium and chlorine for our nervous system. And other things. Sweet. We detect the flavor of glucose and sugar. That makes complete sense, too. That's, the, that's what gets turned into ATP, which runs our cells. We should like that flavor. Sour. Sour is a strange thing, because it's actually usually an indication that we taste acids as being sour. And they're actually bad for You eventually acquire tastes for things. But if you take vinegar and put it in a newborn baby's mouth, they'll give you a disgust reaction. They'll give you this one. <laughs> Which is the it's universal that. And it's this get it out of my mouth. Or or lemon juice. So when you have your first kid, a little bit of lemon juice on your finger. Put it in your mouth. And they'll make the same face you make if I said, well, I'm going to make this Kool-Aid, but I'm going to mix it up in a cat litter box. And I can see the disgust look. Actually, literally, Emily actually literally made it. I take a picture of her face right there. Perfect. So I hook that up to poo, which is actually something you shouldn't eat. Makes some sense, doesn't it? All kinds of data on disgust. It's really cool. Um, so... You can get people into a lab and say, I'm going to make Kool-Aid in this litter box, cat litter box, and I'm going to mix it up with a fly swatter. <laughs> right? And people go, no, I'm not drinking that. And they make the disgust things. And in fact, it even happens when you say, it's a brand new cat litter box. It's coated in plastic. I am not going to remove it. And this fly swatter is from the store, and it's pre-packaged, and it's sealed. And I'm not eating it. It'll be sealed. <laughs> Just don't like the mix of textures. I know grainy freaking cat litter is. No. Well, there wouldn't be cat litter in, right? And you know that. You also know it's completely irrational. Yeah. But you do it anyway. Because we've hooked up our disgust reaction, which is a hardwired reaction you have to things that are either bitter or sour. Bitter is poison. Uh, along with things like poop. And we hook those things up. We learn it. Yeah, bitters, bitter tends to be poison. So we detect those things so we don't put them in our hands. So sour and bitter, you put it in the same classification, like they're both to tell us if something's not good to eat? It's probably not good to eat. Yeah. Now again, as you get older, 
you know, sophisticated, and you say, I like that there is this or that. So you also know that it's not going to poison you. So that's, that's right. You also have learned that it's not enough to turn poison you. Um, and monosodium glutamate, uh, detect, that's basically detecting the flavor of meat. I'm allergic to MSG. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. Nobody is. No, you're not. So you're talking about co-evolution. Y'all know the story of the moths and the bats. I've told it too many times. But to be moths, to be able to protect the bat, that evolved together. Because so that's not that. That's, it's a sensory story. Guppies and prawns is a similar story. The guppies like to eat prawns, shrimps. Sure, who doesn't? Prawns are best at detecting red. So what color do you think prawns are to each other in their red, right? That'd be great, because then we can detect each other in the mates. Except guppies are also good at detecting red. So anywhere in the world where there's a guppy population, the prawns are actually orange. You might think, well, that's because they've eaten all the red prawns. Actually, no. When you, when you do the, um, it's, it's micro, it's, it's evolution in a, in a very small place. It's a little bit of genetic drift. Very cool. So evolution here is affected by other sensory abilities as well, not just by your sensory. <coughs> and evolution is an arms race. So it's always, can I detect you? Can you detect me? That's what it's all about. Yeah. So. Do the, are the prawns in the case, when you have both populations living together, do the prawns also detect orange better? No. In that case? No. Okay. Which explains why the prawns in that case are only orange. The red ones get eaten. Yeah. So only the orange ones are around. Even though it's bad for the prawns mating, it's better for their existing. Okay. But that only happens if there's guppies around. So it's about the guppy's preference driving the coloration of the prawns. So we think of perception and sensation as being what I said, modular. So, for example, we don't say that there's there's a perceptual, there's a visual system, there's a um, auditory system. But we even, as many of you know, we detect color and brightness separately, right? We detect movement and shape separately. As far as sound goes, we probably detect speech separately from everything else. Speech is special. We have a specialized region in our brain for detecting speech. And it's me. We think of these things as being different sort of modules, different, almost, you can call them cognitive organs. They're all in your nervous system. They're necessarily separate 
physiologically, but they're separate functionally. Okay. So the separate function. So this isn't surprising from an evolutionary perspective. We think about speech being processed separately from other sounds, because speech is a very special thing that humans do not stops. So the notion then that we detect speech and the intention of speech separately, that's one very area and the other area. Shouldn't surprise. We detect, the fact that we detect both those things separately from other sounds or process them separately shouldn't surprise us. Is that show you in the timeline, sort of, that originally we were processing sounds in our environment and then eventually we used to process It's them. really hard to know. I mean, the, the, the thinking nowadays is that it was gestures first and then some grunting went along with the gestures and it went from there. Uh, who knows? I mean, we, we, until my time machine is complete, and I've said too much already, um, we'll really never know the answer. We know that other Homo species have. We know that Neanderthal ancestors, for example, Neanderthal could speak. We don't know what he said. Yeah, I know we can. Do you think he processed it the same way in two separate yeah. conditions? Oh, sure. Yeah. They were they were so similar to us. We, okay, we were able to breathe. But then you go further back. Yeah, I mean, who knows if when you start getting back to Heidelbergensis or, or Gaster or something like that, did those guys talk? I don't know. I think they could reason. I think they could explain things to each other with gestures yeah. and stuff. I don't know if they talk. Yeah, a separate area of processing. Like, you know how you were saying that we can tell that the olfactory bulb in the sense of smell was an older... Yeah. Because of the way that it's... Doesn't, it doesn't work the same way as the rest of the, of the sensory systems, yeah. I mean, there's something... Yeah, there's something definitely special in stage. There's also something special about detecting faces. Right, and that's not just in us, that's in other things. What yeah. was the, the rat like picture you were? I can't remember its name, that's why I kept calling it a rat like picture. I'll look it up and I'll figure it out. Other questions?
Thanks for listening to the lecture. Um, all of the audio is available, of course, on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for da- uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck's uh, Psychology Lectures in Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a sh- uh, um, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me, and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, if you want to call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music; they're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.